Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Longest-running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Well, everybody else is down at the Circuit de la Sarthe in uh, the top of the middle of France. Middle of the top of France? We're at the top of the Loire Valley for the Le Mans 24 hours. Of course we are. Uh, Let's go through uh, very quickly because we have a packed programme. On a packed programme this afternoon, we have all the usual features. Uh, We will be talking uh, to the pit lane. Uh, Our uh, Forza Motorsport pit lane team are out there. It'll be Diana Binks and Nick Damon in the early part of the show. We'll try and snag a few interviews, but we'll be talking, of course, about Le Mans. Uh, Paul Truswell is alongside me. He's doing a little bit of setup work himself here. Uh, we've already had some EOT and BOP adjustments before a wheel has been turned. We'll talk the machinations of that and more to come before the weekend. Question mark. Almost certainly, I would say. And, of course, we'll be looking back at all of the... Uh, all of the uh, international motorsport from the last weekend, uh, as well as a little bit of a forward look towards what's happening here. But of course, on 91.2 around the circuit, uh, this is Mobile One Radio Le Mans. So hello to all of you who are uh, rocking up in France at the moment. I know there's some people down uh, at Carrefour. Uh, David Faulkner has got uh, a nice stout and ready to go. Not sure where you are, David. Uh, midday Wednesday and Chris Humphreys. He's uh, listening live from the office as he's doing an uh, audit, an admin. Uh, Michael Romano tuned in as well. West Coast Jesse, zero dark, 4am, catching the show live today. Extraordinary stuff. Uh, Rob Chalmers reminding us that this is the only second, this will be the only second, this will be the on, only the second time this century that the 24 Hours of Le Mans will be run by a non-VAG group car. Well, you say that, a Porsche could win it from GTE, could do. Good to. Uh, hello to John Bigger, who's tuned in, uh, and to Daniil. Daniil, I've just retweeted your global map. That made me laugh a lot. It's brilliant. A lot of hard work went in, into that. No AFAs for Guf Lemon listening while packing the car for an early departure tomorrow morning. I suspect a, long, a lot of you will be doing that, and of course we'll have a live coverage tonight as well. Uh, and who's that one? I've just scrolled down slightly too far. Right turn, love it. Uh, missing uh, a little bit of the show, uh, but we'll 
be in in a, a wee while. Uh, hello to Julie Sturrock and to the Crotch Belt and to Kevin Payne, who's at the Porsche Curve. Uh, curves got everything out of the uh, cu- the car now, and it's a super ooh in Arnage. Uh, they're doing a bit of um, doing a bit of revamping on that store, so it's not quite up to its usual spot. But he says uh, I'm hopefully going to be tuned in on 91.2 FM uh, at RSL underscore Studio and at Specutainment for this part of the show. But just get used to using at RSL underscore studio because uh, that is the one that will come up on the screens in front of we have five screens thanks to brilliant bob at the moment uh, there is likely to be more uh, coming in and paul hasn't even started yet and he's already got five and there's more to come oh he's just got and as i say that he's just got another computer out of there you're listening to a special edition of midweek motorsport it's midday motorsport in the uk just after five past one here central european time we're live from Le Mans, and here are the headlines. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Uh, We'll start with... Formula One, for which we need our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon, part of our Forza Motorsport pit lane team. Formula One, Nick. Hooray! That's very good. I like that. I like that. Uh, right, um, I, I'm going to get this out of the way straight away. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of criticism for the yeah. uh, for what was perceived as the chequered flag yeah. going out early. But in my mind, that chequered flag went out about 42 laps too late. No, I think about 28 laps too late, to be honest. Uh, yeah, that that wasn't an exciting event. We're talking was, about the Canadian, the Grand Prix du Canada. And it was all the more disappointing. Now, you know, as you know, on many occasions, you have told me, Nick, I fell asleep uh, four minutes I didn't, into I the stayed, I stayed <laughs> fully awake for that. I was watching it on the tablet in the back of the Porsche Panamera. I fell asleep ten minutes in. I didn't even last a lap six. And I've gone, John, 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 you just aren't trying. It was terribly interesting. Us purists found loads of excitement in it. Uh, no. Um, it was deathly dull, and the really disappointing thing was, if if we go to Barcelona and it's deathly dull, you go, oh, it's Barcelona. Mm. If you go to Hungary and it's deathly dull, you go, oh, it's Hungary. But Canada's supposed to produce good racing, mm. and it was awful. I mean, you just, and more worryingly, you could tell 15 laps in it was going to be awful, and with bulletproof reliability, uh, well. Uh, power surges or whatever apart you sit there going well really why am i wasting my evening um because i know what's going to happen so you know yeah when when your major interest in 37 laps of the race is whether kimi raikkonen can get enough of a gap to come out ahead of lewis hamilton answer no you're kind of saying what are we doing and it was the canadian grand prix and i'm afraid not wishing to be um constantly on their back the responsibility for that result the lack of action is entirely at the hands of Pirelli now first we're going to say caveat great job by Ferrari brilliant job by Vettel well done Verstappen for keeping on the island and excellent from Bottas once again proving that when the Mercedes is just a little bit off he seems better when the Mercedes is on he can't match Hamilton but and then there were some other excuses reasons why Hamilton was not quite as good as he was one of them were team wise he, he cocked up qualifying and in fairness they didn't help him in the race to get the cooling wrong but those are by the by the fact that nothing happened and the reason was because of these tyres 
Now, they've tried to make them softer, they've tried to make them better and more action-packed, but the, the problem is, basically, that with the new aerodynamics, they, they can't overtake. Even on a track like Canada with a long straight, they can't overtake with the current aerodynamics. So you have a situation where track position becomes king on every circuit, apart probably from Baku where you've got a mile and a half of straight to get past someone. Therefore, you're better off eking out your tyres with just, you know, just enough of a lead um, to stay ahead of your rivals and then just all bundling in at once if you can or, or the pace isn't dropped or just carrying on out there rather than doing two stops, which may be theoretically quicker, but fails to be quicker as soon as you can't overtake the, the last bloke running the other strategy. And the problem we also have is we have one of the most amazing two-tier championships in that the top three teams have, within 17 laps, they're a pit stop ahead of everyone else. So no one from the lower, the, the, the second tier can ever challenge them. So if the second tier is something really intelligent, don't matter, they still come seventh. If the six cars are reliable at the front, they'll be in positions one to six. And it's all down to this Pirelli rubber not doing, again, what it's supposed to do, but down to the aero, the aero problems of getting past. Now, theoretically, next year it should be easier, don't know, and perhaps they'll, they'll get around that problem. But you kind of, you know, after a bad Australia and a good couple of races because they're quite chaotic, you kind of now worry for a lot of the rest of the season. If, if Canada can't produce anything, you're kind of thinking, oh, blimey, you know, what are we going to see elsewhere? Um, because people will baby the tyres. You know, it wasn't quite as bad as seven seconds at Monaco, but it was still three or four. Um, but, you know, uh, that, so it was quite a, um, uh, yeah, a, a not exciting race and a worrying outcome, in my uh, opinion. Joe Bradley is alongside me here in the Mobile One Radio Le Mans studio. And uh, you're not going to disagree with any of that, are you? Uh no, I, I'm, I, I don't want to disagree with it. The only part of it that I want to disagree with, and I, and I think I must be in a minute minority here, because I thought it wasn't a bad race. You um, are. Okay, I we'll stop a, you right yeah, there. But it wasn't. It wasn't a bad race. Why yeah. was it not a since bad when, race? Since when has Formula One had to be exciting and having place changes? I remember the Schumacher domination, domination years. The, we, we had boring races in the 80s. We had boring races in the 70s. I do agree with Nick, but what's spoiling this? What's spoiling Formula One, and you could rectify it in a heartbeat, we need a tyre war. We absolutely need a tyre war. Bring in Michelin, bring in Dunlop, bring in anybody, bring back Goodyear, let's have a tyre war. And that would really start shaking things up because uh, nursemaiding these tyres is not what Formula One's about. And the, I, I've, I'm, I'm going to hark back to the end of January here when I had the uh, opportunity to uh, interview Lance Stroll in the Daytona pit lane and he said that he was um, really pleased to be at Daytona driving that uh, that prototype because it gave him the opportunity to drive a car flat out for a change instead of managing everything instead of managing the tyres and, and that for me is a little bit upside down isn't it um, what was your view, Nick, on the Stroll and Hartley incident? Because that was about the only incident there was. Well, I think if you if you uh, had a racing dictionary written by people who know what they're talking about and looked under the, the uh, heading racing incident, that was the definition of a racing incident. Um, people said Hartley shouldn't have been there, but we've just discussed how virtually impossible it is to overtake one people get going. So you've got to make those places up on lap one. The fact was he was outside, I think, turn four or turn five, which is a bit risky. But the problem was that poor old Lance, um, again, not his fault, got a bit of an oversteery moment on cold tyres. By the time he corrected it, of course, he'd, he'd moved to the left by, I don't know, uh, he'd moved to the left by 
perhaps three feet, a yard, a metre, and that, of course, had taken out the road for, for the space which, which Hartley had. If he, it's exactly the same as the little wobble which Magnussen had in uh, Barcelona, started off a chain reaction which caused um, Roman Grosjean to go off because he had to avoid that. So, you know, this is the point. These cars are, the drivers are all trying as hard as they can on cold tyres. Um, you know, the coldest they'll actually ever be. They won't open that cold when they come out of the... Uh, of the uh, blankets at the, at the end, for they'd have pit stops. Don't forget they've they've they've, they've done a, they've been sat on the grid, done a slow lap, sat on the grid again, all losing temperature. Then they then they expected them to be at, at optimum performance. Um, so you know the, the, it was it was just a, it was no one's fault. It was completely faultless. Um, obviously had a very spectacular result, but nobody hurt. Just a few egos. A bit of pity for Brendan who was having a good day, and obviously very big pity for Lance, his home Grand Prix, but both of them probably would have trolled round in 12th and 14th and not score points, but at least they'd have had themselves on the telly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was, I don't know if I could look to apportion blame for what was obviously just a racing incident. Perhaps it's because Hartley's had a bit of a, a crashy, smashy uh, few few races, and perhaps it's because everyone's trying to get on Lance Stroll's back, even though he's doing a perfectly solid job in an absolutely terrible car. I think if Hartley had made that move on lap 30 or 40, yes, we could be criticising him, but not on lap one. Uh, Nick's perfectly right. That's where you've got to make up your places. And he had to have a go at him because he had momentum coming out the previous uh, chicane. So going around the outside there, bit tricky, yes. But on lap one, he had to do it. And uh, just unfortunate set of circumstances. And remember also, just let's not forget, the pressure's on Hartley because there's been speculation of them replacing him with Lando Norris, I think it was, in the in the frame. And he's dropped off the frame for lack of support from McLaren. Um, so going into a race where you're thinking, you're, you know, you're, you're fighting for your job uh, that's going to add a bit of pressure add that into the mix on lap one and hey ho i don't i agree with nick i don't think i was a 50 50 race first lap typical first lap racing incident uh new gro- I, I i don't think we need to talk very much yeah. more uh, about it it just wasn't a good race uh simple as uh, off to the france the french grand prix at ricard's yes. next and that is that next weekend uh yes one one little thing i want to say is it does indicate how close f1 has become this year between those three top teams is that the lack of the engine upgrade really hurt mercedes um ferrari turned up with perhaps i don't know 10 horsepower more not a massive jump but they obviously had their engine in a very tired mode and they and they were saying probably 10 horsepower off its back and that 20 horsepower spread in qualifying would have been enough to stick uh, valtteri on pole and probably enough to stick uh, lewis even with his ridiculous problems down the hairpin into third so, you know, it does show that if you get one little minor thing wrong, um, it has huge ramifications when they are no longer sitting on any advantage at all. That Ferrari is the equal, if not the better, in, in a number of conditions than the Mercedes, except possibly in our next race, where we go back to the minutely thinner tyres, which, of course, Ferrari struggled so manfully on in, in Barcelona. So that now throws another span in the works, and, and, and just for one race and one race only, you kind of think perhaps Mercedes have the advantage, uh, especially to get their new engine, uh, and, and Red Bull, you know, are there or thereabouts, but don't seem to be quicker, and they need to be quicker because they're never going to qualify as well because of the issue they have uh, with the basic power in, in qualifying mode. So, um, yeah, hopefully, with the long back straight, uh, the Mistral, we will see some overtaking because they'll be able to do it. Uh, the tyres might make it actually interesting this time if there's a management issue as far as Ferrari is concerned because the last time we had them, they had to go two stops and they couldn't let them run in Barcelona. So, yeah, you can be optimistic about it, but there was a bit of a chocker in Canada and it does I think bode not so well for the season but no it's fine because Ricard's going to be great <laughs> TM I uh, don't know about that if I'm very honest uh, I want to say good afternoon to Dinah Binks uh, our other voice in 
uh, our pit lane team, the Forza Motorsport pit lane team. Uh, good afternoon, Diana. How are you this afternoon? Good afternoon, everyone. Yes, fantastic. Thank you very much. I'm just walking up and down the pit lane here to see what's happening. Um, it seems a lot of people have gone for lunch at the moment, but um, looking at the teams and looking at what they are doing, they're just fine-tuning the cars at the moment and bringing them out into the pit lane. Um, but also, I, what I've seen that's new, uh, or it seems new to me this year, John, is that the refueling rigs, um, they seem like they've been boxed in this time, and a lot of teams now have got their really nice liver above them with the car numbers so it makes our job a little bit easier when we're trying to find uh, find them because obviously with uh, 60 cars in this pit lane there's a there's a lot going on but they look really fantastic so they're just sort of making sure that they are all in order I can see some of the drivers um, they've got their seat inserts I'm getting waved at by the golf team the number 86 they're all cheering hello gentlemen <laughs> so yes just getting familiarized with what's happening here the temperature seems to have dropped just a little bit and the we've got a bit of cloud cover but it's quite a relaxed atmosphere you can sort of feel the atmosphere building slightly it's not an open pit lane down here at the moment but there are a few people wandering around and everyone seems in quite relaxed mode so far it's Diana Binks part of our uh, Forza Motorsport pit lane team uh, Nick Damon still with us as well and uh, uh, we'll move on from uh, Formula 1 I think uh, because I don't think there's very much more uh, to say uh, on that this Johnny, week. Yeah. Are you going? I know it's at Le Mans, and so it's it front and center. Are we going to have a little bit of word about WSB? Uh, yes. Would you like to do that now? Well, I would because obviously the record was broken at the weekend. Yeah. Uh, 60 wins for Johnny Ray. Poor old Johnny Ray uh, down at Bruno. Uh, one uh, in second place in the first race was Melandry, and in third place was Tom Sykes. So what happened in the second race, John? I have no clue. Didn't see it. Okay, so who do you think won? Uh, Johnny Ray. No, who do you think won? Uh, Tom Sykes. No, who do you think won? How far down the grid am I going to have to go? It's it obviously a bit of a shocker. Uh, Tom Sykes and Johnny Ray came together. No. Uh, and knocked each other off. Well, no. it, Johnny came off and Tom Sykes was heavily delayed. Um, Melandry had a, had a shocker of the race. And uh, we had our first win for Yamaha. No way. Alex Lowe's won the race uh, from Marco Vandermark, and I, unfortunately, without a computer, I can't remember who came third. But yeah, the top three all didn't score points from, from race one. Uh, in race two, it uh, doesn't have a major effect on the overall championship standings, of course. Uh, Charles Davis was third, that was it. Uh, and uh, so Johnny obviously just picked out his one win to take to take Carl Fogley's record to become the all-time, not a real word, winningest uh, racer in uh, uh, World Superbikes, and then had a, a, a less good. Uh, Sunday, but yeah, it was a it was a, a, a an interesting day. Records broken and then complete calamity. So uh, the definition of a curate's egg, I think. Uh, that's Nick Damon down in the pit lane. You're listening to a midday motorsports special edition live from Le Mans. Joining me here in the Mobile One broadcast centre uh, is Jan Martinbrough. I haven't seen you for a little while, young man. Hello. Welcome back to Le Mans. Thank you. Um, I, I'm going to ask you a rather cheeky question. What are you doing here? Oh, a little bit of, uh, well, trying to get a drive for one. Yeah. Um, maybe not for this year, but certainly for next year. I had a free week, so I'm here with uh, my manager. And uh, we just come down here. I had some stuff to do yesterday at a place based at Le Mans. And it was right near the track, so here today we've um, got some passes and... Yeah, walking up and down the pit lane, having a good time, kind of 
it's pretty painful being here as well. Special place in your heart, though, this no, place. It's the favorite, my favorite race weekend ever. It's um, yeah, unreal. This place. Uh, you've been uh, over applying your trade in Japan. Yep. So um, culture shock there, kidder. Yeah, the first year I went there in 2016, 15, and um, doing Super GT. So now GT500 for the last two years. Culture shock. You're living out there? Yeah, Tokyo. So That's um, a bit different from South Wales. Completely, completely different. You know, every, it doesn't sleep, it's just lights, it's everything's going on all the time. So um, it's pretty opposite to Cardiff. <laughs> but um, yeah, I love it. The racing's great, the championships run very well in Super GT. Um, the living is, is good, they can't complain, it's just, you know, I want to fill it, fill my... I want to be busy. So be doing more. I want to be on a race. So um, yeah. There's not a race this weekend, then obviously. No. Next race is uh, July 1st in Thailand. We have won a broad race in, in outside of Japan cool. in a place called Buriam. Oh and, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, last it's year. Bit, it was bit, bit of a tight circuit for your car, that or is it? No, it's pretty wide. It's a pretty wide track. I mean, to 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 uh, to test on, it's it's pretty dull to be honest. But to race on because it's so wide. Um, the racing is always good there with the GT3s as well, with the mixed classes with 500 and 300. And how long's that race? That is 300k. Sort of standard length. So yeah, about yeah. an hour 50. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of the unknown for for everyone going this one race abroad because we don't test the Bridgestone, don't test the the tyres, Michelin doesn't test the Yokohama. You bring up a good point there. We're here at Le Mans. Mm. There, there's one class LMP2 that has a proper tyre war there's there's choice in all the classes um we've got a, a you know dunlop have won the last seven lmp2 events here and 50 out of 51 wec races seems to stick in my mind you guys you've got a proper old-fashioned tyre war we're talking about formula one and the less than exciting canadian grand prix obviously they have a single tyre supplier you guys sometimes have different tyre manufacturers on the same Yep. manufacturer of car and it, it it's i mean it's hot they, they're going at it these guys it's fierce so at nissan we have four cars and two of them are michelin um the carsonic car my car is on uh, bridgestone and we have another car um on yokohama in lexus they run six cars they have five of them on bridgestone one's on yokohama and honda's the same they have three six five cars three are on bridgestone one's on dunlop and the other was on Yokohama. And, you know, the tyre manufacturers, they throw, they want to beat each other. They throw, like, time and, and money at this. So we go tyre testing a lot through the year, even before the year started with tyre testing, even wet tyre testing at Bridgestone. So we do two days testing at Motegi. So, wet, they wet the track. I was going to say, so what, yeah. they get the hoses out? Yeah, they got these trucks. Um, sometimes it works well, sometimes it's a, they're out so there much. all the time. <laughs> Every session they're out there. But um, they, it's um, fierce. So, and that's it's not just compound. We have you know different manufacturers. We have Honda, which is mid-engined, mm. and we have you know our car, which is uh, the Nissan, which is front-engined. And the, you can't give us the same tire. So, no. Bridgestone, they, you know, we work with the construction. We have different constructions. We get before pre-season in pre-season testing. We've got the, the tire sheet and man, like. The amount of constructions we have. And do you have to mark them out of 10 or something? Is that when you're trying them out? Kind are you of. Feedback? Yeah, 
so you know Bridgestone works with all the teams you know and uh, some teams they are try tires and if they're awful and they don't work they we won't even bother testing them but if some tires are pretty good and they'll give them to us as well to use and then you get into the the compounds and the range of comp the amount of compounds they have and to match the compound and the construction it's uh it's super important because we start the season and we have to keep the same construction anyway for for a while and then mid-season we'll have another tire test and to decide the spec of tire construction wise for the final races so you know, in the in our team, you have two drivers, and the feedback is like it's ultra important. And uh, it's it's uh, you can tune the car a lot with the tire if you know because we're stuck with the if the air of the start of the year is homologated yeah. start of the season, so um, the tire is you can tune the car around the tire a lot. Uh, what is the closest thing to compare a GT500 to? I, I know there's the similarities. I was at the uh, final DTM race last year and they brought some of the cars over for a, a demo the similarities between DTM and um, Super GT I, I have to say the Super GT were tremendously spectacular in both sound and vision mm. um, to watch them were great but to hear them and see the flames everybody must have turned them up actually when they did that demo it was fantastic um, what does it what does it drive like is it is it like a, a, a prototype car is it like a p2 car but just a bit heavier because it's not really a gt car at all is it under the skin no so the weight on them is 10 20 in, in kilos and um so that's p1 sort of yeah I, downforce I, Oh, so much, man. <laughs> so much downforce. A shed load, you <laughs> yeah. were going to say. This, you know, this the, these current regulations, we have um, um, just one standardised aero kit, whereas two years ago they had a low downforce spec for Fuji, mm-hmm. um, whereas now we have to use the same spec everywhere. Um, they, I never, I've never drove, driven the new spec P2 engine, P2 with the upgraded engine, but... Um, I still think they'll be quicker than the P2. Maybe not as quick as the latest generation last two years. Um, P1 cars like the Porsche and Audi back in the last year. But um, it won't be far off. I don't know the lap time difference at Fuji. Um, but, yeah, it's it'll be pretty close. And you're still enjoying it? I love it. It's like there's uh, there isn't a championship that I'll change it for. If I was doing one anyway, it's uh, it's brilliant. It, you know, the, the it's they have their own circle. You know, in in Super GT in Japan, and once you crack it and you're in that circle, it's um it, it's, it's I mean, this, really rewarded. It's not like you're the only European over there. Uh, there's no. a few names that are here that that race in Super Formula and, and Super GT. Mm. Do the Europeans tend to stick together and the Japanese drivers stick together, or is there a bit more of a mingling? And 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 does that also sort of divide up in terms of the fan base as well? Um. Usually, outside of the racing, when we're going for coffee or something, it'd always be you know the, the I hang out with the, with the foreign drivers. There's um there's a few Japanese drivers we hang out with, with as well. I mean the language barrier is is you know, it's it's obvious it's um it's a problem. But you know for drivers like you know Nakajima, you know you meet them in the airport and you you're having a normal conversation with them and. We go out with some other drivers as well in in Tokyo and we, we socialise, but mainly it's you know the foreign drivers because it's we can relate. It's perfectly possible to do 
a series of, of racing in Japan um, and, and combine it with some European races. There are plenty of yep. people who you race against. Uh, is that why you're here? Is that what you're looking for? Yeah. Have <laughs> they knocked on doors? Yeah, I've been asking. So. Um, well, and what's the situation like over in Europe since you were you last been away for what a couple of years effectively mm. now since you, you had a, any kind of full season or, or, or crack at a championship? Do you notice a difference coming back now? Is it better? Is it worse? Is there is there more? I think there's more chance at Le Mans that anyway right. this year for a privateer team to to win, and I think that's great. In terms of GT3 racing and so on, there's not so much. I think it's got a little bit bigger. Blompan, for example. You class as a platinum driver now, what you're called? Yeah, I think so. You probably haven't put an FIA grading in, have you? But you're a works driver, though, aren't you? Yeah, it, I think it, last time I looked, it was platinum. <laughs> so uh, it kind of screws me over. <laughs> but it's not bad. If I'd said nah, to you 10 yeah, years true. ago you'd yeah. be a platinum driver, you'd have laughed in my face. Yeah, true. Uh, Jan, it's great to see you. You look as fit as a butcher's dog's personal trainer. Thanks, so you're clearly you keeping too. up that. Uh, well, a bit less of me since the last mm. time you saw me. Um, that's, I think, well, that's 26, 27 kilos since nice. the last time you saw me. And that was uh, down to A, trying to make myself feel a bit fitter and B, because I wanted to do some racing and I wanted to, to do a bit better. So um, I've been in a bit of GT4. Nice. 24-hour racing, man. so it's been good fun. Um, give me best to your, your mum and dad, won't you? Will do. All good? Yeah, yeah good oh good pass on me best to them um it's good uh, uh good people i've always enjoyed their company mm. and good luck in japan and hopefully then we'll see you back here in yeah hopefully see you next year end of the season of course last well, year yeah that race is the last race of the season yeah. so maybe a chance to get a bit of uh, a bit of a sneaky driving mm. do my best i noticed you're wearing a Janetta wristband that's all i'm saying all I'm saying. Jan Marlborough, thanks for joining us Cheers, at uh, Midday Motorsport, live from Le Mans. 91.2 FM is Mobile One Radio Le Mans. Uh, really good insight there into uh, what's going on in Jan Marlborough's life at the moment. Let's check back in again with our uh, reporters as part of the Forza Motorsport pit lane team. Uh, Diana Binks, let's uh, have a quick word with uh, Diana first of all. Uh, have you worked out where everybody is now, Diana? I'm getting used to it now, John. I've been walking up and down and listening to your interview, which was great to hear um, what Jan's up to. It's, uh, I can imagine how he feels being a driver at this event in particular. We all know how big it is and how exciting it is, so it must be difficult to be on the sidelines. But down here in the pit lane, it's still pretty slow. Go slow so far, John. Everyone's looking around the cars, doing the last bits of putting the last bits of logos on cars, fine-tuning. Some drivers are out with the inserts and they're just really in and out of the car practicing that driver change but generally there's uh, quite a, a lull before we get cracking in a couple of hours time and all of that of course is going to be live here on mobile one radio le mans uh, nick damon is the second photo motorsport pit lane mm. reporter voice that we have down there in the pit lane. where wrong. are you in the pit lane i was wrong first what do you mean you were wrong first? i completely forgot that yamaha won two races at Donington the previous week. Ah, uh, yes. Won three. I was corrected on Twitter whilst listening to Jan Marderborough, and I, I, feel, I, I, have a poly, I feel I need to eat a humble pie of that ridiculous oversight for two weeks ago. I'm happy to forget things from several years ago. It's absolutely fine. In fact, even last season, I'll forget stuff. But from two weeks ago, even for my ageing brain. Um, I'm up in the... Thanks start. to Matthew Hindman yes, for that. I'm up it. in the, uh, the row of woe, the lane of shame, or the annex, depending how you put it. And our new visitors for this year in the shuffle around is the AF course... Uh, well, basically, they've got virtually all of it. 
there are one, two, three, four, five, six AF Corsa cars all up here in the uh, that annex at the top, which is now, of course, about uh, 12 garages. Um, they're joined by United Autosports as well and a couple of the uh, uh, other uh, privateer LMP1s as well. So that's a big change. Um, BMW have got the old Audi gig at the end of the, uh, the garage is actually in underneath the grandstand. So they're in, uh, they, they will be uh, running their new uh, M8s from there. Uh, but uh, certainly the, the other end where Diana has, has got uh, some of the, the key interests. It has uh, the Porsche, the Corvettes. It's got uh, obviously Toyota and also uh, that bloke, oh, what's his name? Jensen thingy, Bob. He's, you can he's stop it. that immediately. <laughs> Uh, it's so good that he's here. Uh, no, Jensen's in there. Oh, and, and obviously, uh, uh, you know, if we get to see him, we have to congratulate him. We get engaged yesterday. Yes, saw that. And uh, yes, we'll have to have a word with him about that. Uh, thank you, Nick. Uh, Johnny Palmer joins us in the Mobile One Radio Le Mans studio. 91.2 FM around the circuit, around the world on uh, RS1 and RS3 uh, this weekend. Our coverage uh, from Le Mans. Ready for this? I am. Oh, yes, and then some. Um, I, I think the, the entry is superb, quite clearly, and this was the one that uh, was barely going to happen, wasn't it, about 12 months ago when manufacturers were leading, leaving the championship and we wondered what on earth, what sort of state we were going to be in. I think it's what could be one of the best for years. Maybe not for the LMP1 category, but LMP2 is going to be a dogfight throughout with 20 cars in it, and you know me and GTs, I just love them, and you've got half the entry these days 30 cars 17 pros 13 ams and sadly they're all on the same tires we could have a bit of a tire battle within there but there's lots of different manufacturers represented particularly in pro and it's great to have uh, the usual american entrants uh, dicing with europe's and the rest of the world's best to see who can be quickest around here and who can still be left standing after 24 hours it, it's very very promising i think um there was a balance of performance, an unfathomable balance of performance uh, adjustment yesterday. Um, again, is this about Aston Martin? Uh, and it's about everybody apart from Porsche um, in uh, in GTE. Um, I, I had it explained to me, and I think this is reasonable. Um, it's a reasonable way of, of seeing that, that Le Mans is not a normal race. In all the normal WEC races, you have auto BOP. So there's uh, that, whether we like that or not, allegedly the human element has been taken out. You put stats in at one end, you get a BOP out of the meat grinder at the other end. Yeah. Although I do think it's funny that every single manufacturer have said to me, on the quiet hand off, don't need to tell everybody, we help with that algorithm, so we'll be all right. Okay. Yeah. Every one of them have told me that. Um, so th that's what happens at a normal race. This isn't a normal race. We've got new cars that haven't raced here before. There's limited data on those cars. And what we have here that they, you don't have on a normal race weekend, Friday to Sunday, is time. So we've had the test day a couple of weekends ago. Mm -hmm. You were here. Have a look at those numbers. Make a little adjustment now before the cars go out today. Um, I don't expect there to be a, another change between today and tomorrow because that means you would have two qualifying sessions running potentially under two different balances of performance balance of performances i don't know um so the next one will be friday after that and i expect it to happen i expect it to happen in fact i think it's almost a racing certainty um because well, there's they, time do you think they'll change it wednesday into thursday no because then you would have qualifying on two different sets does of, that matter well yes because which time do you take who knows? Well, 
exactly. So I don't think they'll do that, but I think it's almost a race and cert that they'll do it on, on Friday. Um, which is fine, because you've got time. And that was how it was explained to me. And I thought, all right, that's reasonable. And, and that would be a reasonable submission if you believe that these changes are being made in a data-driven and technically savvy way, which means you have to trust the ACO's technical department. Yes. Which I'm not sure anybody does at all. Okay. Unfortunately, Vincent Bormanil has not really hit it out of the park does, for a very, very long this, time. Has anybody seen this algorithm? Well, no, of course does not. It, it's does, an it algorithm. Ex- does it exist? Well, could be half a bottle of wine and I a mean, couple of less cargo, couldn't it? I agree with you that there, there are new cars here, but effectively this algorithm is reset, I thought, over the winter. So it's purely based on the six hours at Spa and the test day. It's not based on any races we did last year. So regardless of whether you're Aston Martin with a brand new car or Porsche with a well, year old car. that's not in force here. No, but they surely have looked at the performance at Spa and said, OK, this car's quick, this car's slow. They've looked at... What you said was, you know, there are certain cars that maybe you could access more data from, as in the Ford GTs and the Porsches. That shouldn't be correct. You should base it on six hours at Spa and presumably all the peripheral sessions as well, so qualifying and free practice too. And then you've got two doses of... And we lost time during uh, the test day with several red flags, but what should have been eight hours of running. So, I mean, that's a fair old chunk of time. Um I mean, Aston are way off. They're five seconds slower than the best car. So I, I could understand them getting a bit more. They've, they've got some more turbo, haven't they? And they're going to get that's it, four, four more litres of fuel every f- fill-up. So that makes sense to bring them in closer to parity. Um, I, I have to admit, I haven't read all the details of yesterday's BOP um, adjustment. I'm surprised that Porsche haven't gotten a thing, but Ford have, because there was nothing between Porsche and Ford at test day. So why do they need, they need a boost? Presumably, it is a boost. Maybe it's not. Well, they've taken. Have they slowed the Fords down. They've taken weight off. Uh, taken right. So that's a that's, boost. That's an off advantage. And across the rev range and taken fuel off Ford, I think. Or did they put Ooh, okay. boost on? And I can't remember. Um, I, I I I just there was boost on and fuel off, um, and. Uh, a little bit of weight I, adjusted not, too. Okay, I'm not sure about that. I, well, but anyway, to, to me, Porsche and Ford were giving it everything during test day, uh, so they can just be left. I would imagine that's your benchmark. And then there All were... right, here's what happened. Aston okay. Martin got a four litre increase in fuel capacity and an increase in turbo boost. Um, that's the most significant one. The Ford GT reduction in running weight and maximum fuel capacity puts but a marginal reduction in turbo boost pressure. GTEs, increase in weight, uh, M8 GTEs, increase in weight, reduction in fuel capacity, but increase in turbo boost. Um, The Corvettes get a 10 kilo weight increase over their baseline with the Ferraris getting a marginal turbo boost. In the arms, the only one was a slight uh, reduction of fuel capacity for the Aston Martin. Um, So... Mm. Okay. Everything else remained the same in arms. I I, I just don't know that this constant tinkering. I, I'm I'm not going to this this. I said I was on on Twitter. I was going to have a rant about it today. I am going to have a rant about it today, and then I'm not talking about it anymore 
This is a great class of motor racing that has been tinkered with and fiddled with ad infinitum. We had more BOP changes than we had races in the championship last year. And it's beginning to become farcical. And I have no idea how it's worked out. And at this point, I actually don't care. As a fan, I don't care. I'm losing interest in watching this race of GTEs. As a journalist, I mean, I, on, as a journalist, and somebody who's this is my 29th Le Mans, um, at work, as a working journalist, um, I am <sighs> flabbergasted that we're getting ourselves into this situation when there's an opportunity here to just watch great motor racing. What I want to see happening is the FIA. Uh, WEC, the ACO, I want them to get together and write a proper set of regulations and then stick to them. And you will have cars that are better at one circuit than they are at another. This is not a North London primary school sports day where everybody's got to be given the equal chance of winning at every track at every time that they go out. And I think that is a massive mistake. If you're going to do that, then just why don't you just forget about that, give everybody a base weight, and then just add success ballast on every time you win. If that's what you're talking about, do it that way. Stop this constant tinkering. It is driving people away from the sport, and it will drive me away from the sport Mm. because I'm bored with it. Um, We'll come to the prototypes in a little while uh, after we've been down to the pit lane, and our Forza Motorsport pit team are uh, Diana Binks and Nick Damon. Who have you got for us as a... Well, I'm with someone who I call almost a friend of the uh, friend of the station now, because obviously it's the the stalwart, the winner of the last Creventic event in Imola, uh, Matthias Bersch. Matthias, um, you know, who you've traded in your TCR car for this LMP1 thing? Yeah, pretty 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 big change. But uh, but as I said before, you know, everything that I have four wheels and a steering, and I'm going for it. If if there is an engine, it's even better. <laughs> So give us an idea of the, the feeling for the Rebellion, how they're feeling on the eve of the event. I mean, yeah, you're about to get going, you've had test day, how do you feel? Yeah, feeling great, to be honest. Uh, the car was pretty hard to drive in Spa and uh, uh, we didn't want to take any risk on that race, but now we start to feel confident with the car. The, we have an amazing downforce with this car, you know, basically we are pretty slow on the, on the top speed, uh, a little bit slower than the, some of the P2, so it's not easy on traffic, but in the corners when we have the chance to have a free lap it's a very quick car and uh, a lot of downforce it's as a driver very enjoying um also it's quite physical to drive so uh it's gonna be it's gonna be tough for us to do long stints but uh but yeah the i think the key for us will be to manage well the traffic and uh yeah that's where the toyota will be strong you did uh well i think your teammates did a 19 in uh test day what was your team was it yeah, I did it. Oh, sorry, I'll, I'll start again. Matthias, you did a 19. Well done in uh, in test day. I mean, is that is that the maximum or is it a bit more uh, for tonight or tomorrow night? No, obviously there is a bit more. Everybody knows, you know, we, need, we, we didn't go for a quali lap. No one's, no one's did. I think that was not the purpose of the day. Um, but uh, for sure there is more. But uh, we, we, we know there is much more in the Toyota. You know, we did, they did 14 last year and uh, for sure they can do... They improve also, so uh, obviously they, they're able to do 13, but that's something we, we cannot imagine do, doing that, but for sure we, uh, we want to improve. Uh, on the other side, we know that it's going to be super hard to beat them on performance, so uh, we have to focus on our own race. That's on a little bit like, yeah, uh, the basic stuff, but uh, that's with the basic that we can do a good result. It's a good point you make. On pure performance, you're not going to win. Does that mean that you have to go as fast as possible, or do you do you take the view 
they need to have a problem. So we need to actually ease back a little bit, not be at 100% to make sure we're there to pick up the pieces rather than going hell for leather and actually being the ones to have the problem. Uh, there is two way of seeing you know, things. You can say we have to push maximum and push them to do a mistake or push them at least to drive as fast as they can and maybe do a mistake on track. That's one thing. Or you say, okay, anyway, there's even if they do a small mistake, there's no way we can do anything. So that we have to focus also on the competition with the other cars because I think now everybody is not really looking at SMP, but I think SMP will be a very strong competitors, and um, that's uh, that's also what we have to be careful of. I think for first Le Mans as a team, we have to uh, we we have to do a solid race and. Uh, yeah, drive. We always drive 100%, but maybe not drive 110 this time. Uh, just be at 100 all the time and, uh, and being solid, and we see if the, the race comes to us. You mentioned it's very physical in the car. Now, previously in P1 and certainly with the uh, factory teams, we've seen effectively the drivers run to the tyres. So the quadruple stint them because that's as long as the tyres will last. With the change in the regulation, so now you can fuel and change tyres as well, does that mean we're just, you, basically you guys are just going to double stint whilst you're still fresh because that's as long as the tyres are going to be on? Um, no, you know, the problem with tyres now is like we have an allocation, so uh, it's not like we can, for sure, we, the change of tyre is more or less free now uh, because it, the fuel takes more time than the tyres, so uh, you could say, okay, we changed new tyres every stint uh, and driver, whatever. But uh, but no no tires is uh, we have to do uh, I think quadruple stints okay. with the tires uh, around that it's physical because the car in itself you know we have to make the lap time if you have to imagine we have the same top speed same straight line and a P2 but we are 10 seconds quicker than them so we have to make the lap time in the corner so it's g-force it's braking it's tension uh, also the car is quite physical I think as Andre said compared to a factory teams where maybe they spend a little bit more time on driving comfort and stuff and and seating cooling and everything for the moment it's pretty pretty hot in the car and pretty rough so uh, so that make all together quite quite yeah difficult car to drive uh, if you want to stay four stints but obviously the the team since uh, the test day they work a lot uh, we will improve our cooling we'll improve our damping we'll make small modification and I'm sure it's going to help a lot and the weather is not going to be too hot so I hope it's going to be a good help for us. Matthias Best, hope you have a great one indeed. Thanks very much. And now down to my fellow Forza Motorsport team pit lane member, it's Diana Binks with Spencer Pompelli. Thank you, Nick. Yes, I am with uh, Spencer at uh, the number 99 GTE um, Proton competition car. Spencer, you, it's going to be busy down this end of the pit lane. Well, it's actually the pit-in entrance that we are because we've got uh, Toyota alongside your two garages up from you, so there are a lot of interest going on. But but, um, but for you yourself, how, how are preparations going with the team? I can see everyone inside just doing the last-minute checks and uh, you had your driver seat insert and you were chatting to the guys and just getting ready. So a huge event this isn't it it's phenomenal yeah i almost think this is more of a an event than a race you know it's an event centered around a race but we do a lot of races in the states and their races and here this is just so, so much more going on than just what's on track uh but from our end it's a lot of preparation you know we've got to get things ready and one of the things i'm doing right now is setting up all the seatbelt bungees and all the little uh, zip ties to pull the belts and to, to loosen the belts and do those things and that's one of those areas where when i come to do a 24 hours just had to do that myself because I'm really the only one that knows the way I want it, so uh, I'm usually pretty easy going, but the belts are one of those things where I have to be in control of it. 
but yeah, I mean, we're we're looking pretty good. You know, I think we're just eager to get on track. Absolutely, I think everyone's ready to, to go, and you will be going in a couple of hours' time. Um, but what are your expectations for this one? It's uh, it's tough to say. You know, um, uh, Tim is didn't get a ton of laps in the test. You know, he got his times down pretty quickly, but uh, there's still a lot more to go. I think the bronze and silver drivers in GTM have a big effect on the outcome of the race. So I want to see you know him get some more time and uh, and be able to comfortably bring his time down. You know, this isn't one of those places where you can just go out and nail it. You know, you've really got to be patient. There's fast corners. you got to build slowly. But as long as the lap is, you don't get to see each corner very often. So uh, someone like Tim just needs some time. So hopefully he'll uh, he'll get really comfortable and be able to come and attack this track come race day. Uh, I, it's been a while for me, too. I didn't exactly get a lot of quality laps in the test. You know, I was the guy betting the brakes and doing ins and outs and things like that. So I'm looking forward to getting up to speed as well. And we know Patrick is... Uh, a veteran of now starting his 15th race so uh, we just want to see how things shake out see where we stand with the other cars and then uh, strategize as much as we can but we're trying to win this thing uh, absolutely that's why everyone's here but Patrick Long in the num number 99 with you is a very experienced as we know he's 15th Le Mans as you have just uh, told us uh, what what's he bringing to the party for you he's bringing experience you know he, he's he knows a lot more about this type of car and this track than Tim or I. So we're relying on him pretty heavily to help us uh, with our driving, get quickly up to speed. And uh, you know, he obviously brings a lot of the X factor too. He knows about endurance racing. He knows uh, a lot about just the ins and outs of this track, this place, uh, working with this team. So it's not just driving for Patrick. Uh, he's bringing uh, a lot of uh, things that only he can bring. And I think they're really gonna help us. I know you've only had a few laps around on testing, but how would you describe the characteristics of the Porsche around this Le Mans circuit? Uh, for me, it's a lot different than the GT3 car I'm used to driving. Uh, you tend to turn the car with the steering wheel more than the brake pedal. Uh, it likes to kind of stay nice and tidy, but the brakes are phenomenal. The grip is phenomenal. It's really calm at high speed. So uh, it's everything you want for a 24-hour race, you know, a car that's capable and easy to drive. And so far, every con indication is that's how it is so uh, we'll know more a lot after this first session but I like it I'm having a good time in it so what are the preparations now just get the seat right uh, do all the final little checks I mean the guys have very much been here and on it all week uh, we don't really have a lot more to do other than uh, you know throw it on the racetrack see what happens and then kind of go from there I think when we're done with the session we'll have a, a different work list but for now I think everything's ready so you're here in Europe, you flew in from uh, America on Sunday. Have you adjusted well to the time change? <laughs> I want to say yes, but the truth is no. You know, I'm tired at about, I don't know, uh, 8 o'clock because when it comes bedtime, I can't go to sleep. And then so I end up staying up all night, not getting any sleep, crashing middle of the day. It, it's tough, uh, especially for someone who doesn't do it a lot. But yeah, I'm enjoying the challenge. And come race day, I think I'll be adjusted. And uh, I got a couple of days in Paris afterwards with the wife. So uh, hopefully by then we'll be right on uh, schedule. Spencer Pampelli, thank you very much for the moment. Yeah, thank you. Diana Binks, part of our Forza Motorsport pit lane team. Uh, and thanks to Forza Motorsport for jumping in on that uh, this year. Uh, they're at uh, E3 at the moment. And coming up in the uh, next few days will be their uh, playoffs for Series 1 of the Forza Motorsport uh, Racing Challenge for this year. 250 thousand dollars up for grabs there and a world final in london at the end of october uh, meantime uh, we'll be having uh, the uh, june bounty hunter up there if you're a forza motorsport 
type person and it's my time that you've got to beat. I took the RSR Porsche around here, about 20 laps in. Uh, not a great time, I'm afraid, but I was doing it on the controller with no assists, no TCR, uh, no traction control rather, no ABS. And uh, if you can beat my time, you'll get some great prizes out there as well. The Forza Racing Championship uh, Bounty Hunter for June is against me. You can use a number of different cars, by the way. I just happened to choose the Porsche and had it painted Pink Pig. Uh, the Forza Championship 2018 Series 1 playoffs, Sunday, June the 16th, 9 o'clock Pacific Daylight Time. Uh, sorry, Saturday, June the 16th and Sunday, June the 17th. So that is on the race weekend. $75,000 up for grabs there as part of the uh, run to the big World Series finals. Uh, in the end of October in London, which I'm looking forward to uh, immensely. Uh, Johnny Palmer still with me, and we welcome Paul Trusswell to Midday Motorsport live from Le Mans. Uh, Paul is uh, remodelling his end of uh, the of the broadcast uh, centre. Took me ages to get those panels to stick as well. Huh? Oh, oh, sorry. No, it's all right. Um, uh, welcome to the show. We've talked about the BOP for GTE, the changes there. Very few of them making any differences. Ford telling uh, Shea Adam from our Forza Motorsports pit lane team that it would make no difference at all uh, fuel changes are a, a bit odd because they've got the amount of laps that they've got to do there's a fueling time that they've got to stick to and then after 18 hours that's all gonna be brought in for gtes as well uh it, it's i mean it's becoming slightly less strategic and slightly more complicated to follow but there's just a set of numbers that people have got to got to remember in in equalization of technology now that was first coined to basically balance three very different answers to the LMP1 hybrid question that Toyota, Porsche and Audi had back in the day. Um, now it's been applied between the hybrids, the Toyotas, uh, and the privateer cars, which are non-hybrids, although some of them are nominally aspirate and some of them are turbos. Um, and you said yesterday in a little broadcast that we did, it was a bit of the, the, the ACO rather reneged on their agreement with the with the privateers. Um, yes, I, I kind of was uh, had a sleepless night wondering whether that was a good uh, um, way to express it or not. But uh, yes, I mean, it's worth... Explain. It, it's worth if you've got a, a couple of minutes because you, you just set the background to where equivalence of technology came from. Um, and you're absolutely right. Originally, equivalence of technology was a phrase coined by the ACO in order to deal with the fact that there were diesel cars and petrol cars running in the same class. And somehow or another, they had to uh, make an equivalence of those two types of technology because uh, the diesel fuel um although it, but it, it, it's in some sense is a more efficient fuel uh, than than gasoline is so that, that that was why the the phrase was coined then they had to deal with the different battery technologies that were being used by uh, toyota and porsche um in the early days of the hybrid so that had to be kind of dealt with but I think they've they've kept the free the phrase equivalence of technology, but now it is it's handicapping by another word, um, and they have guaranteed to Toyota that they will be half a second a lap quicker around a single lap than um, anybody else will be. So Toyota have kind of got this guarantee of being half a second a lap quicker. 
The ACO has decided that because Toyota have a hybrid and hybrid technology is clearly designed at saving the planet and being uh, ecologically friendly, that the cars should run further on its tank full of fuel. So Toyota have also got an extra lapse worth of fuel uh, or a lapse worth of, uh, of, of stint capacity um, before they have to do their fuel stop. So we'll see the Toyotas going an extra lap. That's been built into this equivalent of technology regulation. But then the third part is the amount of fuel that goes into the car and at each pit stop the non-hybrids clearly have to put more fuel in because they're, they're, they're non-hybrid they're using all of their power is coming from the petrol engine so obviously they're going to use more fuel so they give them um, a faster fuel flow rate that they can put the fuel in with however it still doesn't make them quicker than refueling a toyota is so kind of toyota has advantages in each of the three parameters which drive how far you can go in a 24-hour race they're fast around a single lap they can go further on a tank full of fuel and they spend less time in the pits now after the test day um the or, or, or sorry i should say for the test day the aco said to the privateers we're going to give you a, um, less fuel that you can use per second going into the engine so however hard you press on the throttle pedal it won't open the um the throttles enough to allow you to put more fuel in than a certain amount uh, and that amount was reduced slightly on the grounds that if the privateers were too far behind they'd be able to bring them up to to uh, to a little bit closer by increasing the amount of fuel they're allowed to use now they haven't done that what they've done is they've left it pretty much where it was for the test day so the the change that we came out on i can't remember now if it was monday or tuesday um but the change that came out to the equivalence of technology tuesday. earlier this week tuesday um was to say, look, what we did on the test day was pretty much right. We're going to leave it at that. Right. So, in effect, as far as Rebellion and the other privateers are concerned, they are where they were for the test day. That assumes that everybody was driving as fast as they possibly could and looking at some of the sector times, there's a 3.14 in there for a Toyota. There will be a 3.14 done in qualifying if the, uh, the weather players ball and it'll be Alonso that does it because he's going to break the record um, and then he's going to break the lap record in the race and that car will break the distance record as well um, so that is kind of again you know th the theory behind that I, I, I understand and I can see the logic behind that and the explanation seems valid um, but we're working on flawed assumptions on, on all of this because nobody's trying as hard as they need to and we've not really seen the cars go as fast as they are, which is why this whole BOP thing falls over in the first place. Uh, yeah, yes, but, um, and this is where I'll echo a comment you made earlier on, uh, we're reliant upon the, the ACO, the, the Endurance Committee uh, and the Technical Committee to understand what is exactly um, being done at any one time. Now, they have telemetry on the cars, they have GPS positioning on the cars, so they can tell, if never mind about sector times, they can tell whether you're accelerating half a second later uh, and therefore doing a slightly slower lap time. Mm. So they have the technology to do all of that if you trust them to be able to say, well, this is what this is what we're doing. I do agree with you that the times we saw in the test day are going to be absolutely blitzed come qualifying either this evening or tomorrow. Whether it's Fernando Alonso who does it, I'm not quite sure. I th I'll, um, I'm not a betting man, but I would be surprised if it is Falonso who... Falonso? Falonso, that's, that's it. Falonso. 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 Uh, um, who, who sets the uh, qualifying laps, because uh, if you look at the kind of... Um, 
drivers who have set quick times in the past, then um, you, you would expect them to be quickest. I mean, last year, uh, the pole position time was a 3.14. It was 3.14.7, if you remember, Kimi Kobayashi. And in terms of the spec of that Toyota, there's not a lot different in it. Um, it's just a bit more bulletproof um, than it was last year. There's not a lot in terms of its, uh, in terms of its specification uh, and in terms of the equivalence of technology that will make it go either quicker or slower. We'll have more on this. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Midday Motorsport, of course, uh, this week as we're live from uh, our Mobile One broadcast centre at the heart of the Le Mans 24-hour circuit de la Sarthe in uh, the northern part of the Loire Valley. And we've got another hour still to come here on RS1, RS3 and 91.2 FM. Midweek Motorsport. Half time. And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. Uh, still to come in the second half of this, I see, I nearly said this evening because it is so hardwired into in, this edition of uh, Midweek Motorsport. Uh, we'll have Johnny Palmer, we'll have more from our Forza uh, Motorsport pit lane team, Nick Damon, and uh, down there with him is uh, Diana Binks as we look at the week's motorsport news and we preview the action coming up later on. It's a full day today, no need for you to tune away. Keep uh, tweeting, please, at RSL underscore studio. Oh, I've started something. Uh, with the whole BOP thing but many of you seem to be in agreement just let's have the rules and let them race is what a lot of people uh, are saying can't disagree with any of that keep it locked in 91.2 FM around the circuit around the world on RS1 and RS3 this is Mobile One Radio Le Mans on RadioLeMans.com oh there's the first crash of the weekend right there Live from Trackside. Trackside. On 91.2 FM. On Sirius Channel 138. And XM Channel 201. And online at RadioLeMond.com. At RadioLeMond.com. You're listening to coverage of the world's most famous motor race, the Le Mans 24 Hours, on Mobile One Radio Le Mans. Uh, don't worry, that one will buff out. It wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a panel damage. Uh, <laughs> I have to learn that jingle a bit better than that. Johnny Palmer, uh, off to my right. Paul Truswell off to the left. Well, we'll let you get those panned across, actually, for those of you here at the circuit, That'd because be we are in stereo mm. here this week. And do you notice that? It's yeah, very, very good. clever. Thanks to Richard Dudley-Smith for uh, the technology to do that, as well as Bob Bob Dawson. Um, uh, we've, we've done all of our previews, and they're available to download and listen. I know a lot of people will be doing that. What do you expect to see this afternoon when the car's rolled out for... A free practice session, the one and only free practice session. There are a couple of drivers who've got to get their five laps in, aren't there? Uh, yes, there are. Um, and um, Augusto Farfus is certainly one of them because he was busy doing DTM racing at Hungary during the test weekend. And there were one or two others as well that weren't able to make it and haven't been here for their either debutants or they haven't been here for the last five years. So Augusto Farfus has raced in this race, I think it was 2011, 2012, maybe 10 and 11. But anyway, the gap is sufficient that he's judged to be a rookie again. So, yeah, that's the first job on the list. Um, I'm expecting probably cars to go a bit faster than they did on te- test day. But uh, can how, I just I'll, I'll just you... put a little word of warning in there. You turned up on Tuesday and the weather's been lovely. When we turned up on Friday, we've got webbed feet and mm-hmm. we've we've um, got gills yes. because it's been so wet. Uh, I actually suggested somebody should bring an aqualung down uh, in a Jacques Cousteau kind of way because it's been so wet down here. So I'm not sure what the 
the quality of the tarmac will be. A lot of people saying at test day, Johnny, that the, the, the track was actually in better condition than they'd seen it at, at a test day for, for quite a long time. I'm not sure what all the, the weather will have done to it, though. Uh, no, well, it, it certainly won't have made it better. Um, according to my forecast, we're not expecting any further rain today, but there are showers predicted tomorrow, and depending on what tomorrow, time... Tomorrow evening at about yeah. 7 o'clock, I think it was. So, yes. we'll, get, so we'll get a little bit of uh, dry qualifying, and then it'll start to rain. But then um, it'll dry out again for the end. For the evening. Um, yeah, I, well, yes, but I, I mean, I was basing that comment on the fact that people didn't go as fast as they could and can do during test. And uh, I think we'll find a bit of speed. I mean, I chatted very, very briefly to Johnny Adam during test day, and he said the track was certainly improving, as you would expect it to during test. And uh, the weather, thankfully, stayed away on the 3rd of June. We were saying it's going to rain any minute, it's going to rain any minute, and it, it didn't. Somehow it skirted down the side of the circuit perimeter. Um, and it got really grippy by the end. And we actually, I mean, Paul and I thoroughly enjoyed pretty much the final half an hour, which was the highlight of the day, because they trimmed all the cars out and they were going, I felt, as fast as they could. I mean, certainly in GTs, the Porsches and the Fords were going as fast as they could. And we got, in GTE Am, the fastest time of the day. Julian Andlauer plucked that out with about two laps to go. Yeah. So there was a natural crescendo for the whole day. Uh, and... Ford and Porsche generally from most people, I remember Graham saying this in the GTE, Graham Goodwin at dailysportscar.com saying this in the GTE um, preview, uh, it was generally thought that Ford and Porsche were doing everything they could, um, other mm. manufacturers not so sure. Yeah. Um, what I will say about that, and remember I'm getting all my, my BOP stuff in now yeah. because there will be none of it. When we come to the race, I'm just going to sit down. You to that, John. And I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, whatever's happening, uh, practice qualifying, whatever, fine. I will probably have a small, a small nuclear explosion, just maybe a dirty bomb size, not a huge megaton. Do you need a code word to just utter, and we all know what you're talking about? Puppies. Puppies. Mm. All right. Well, we can use that. What the puppies the... going on? Uh, basically, um, during warm up, if, warm-up? if I think I think Saturday morning, if there's been more changes, there might be a puppy explosion, All right. a small puppy explosion. Yes. Um, but but I, I just want to watch. And the, the thing is, if the race gets ruined, then the race gets ruined, right? And I, and I'll, you know, I'll, at the end of the race, I'll say the race was ruined. Okay. But while but it's on, that's it. What's your definition of a ruined race? One particular car just romping clear by, you know, well, half a lap. Because the, the idea, surely, of this balance of performance is to bring them together and give us a better race. My point was going to be, as soon as you have balance of performance, people try and cheat the system. And when I say cheat, I mean, I don't mean cheat, cheat, in the biggest sense of the word. I mean, manipulate the system. Manipulate the system. As soon as you have a rule, somebody will try and bend that rule just before it breaks. They'll go right up to the very outside of the line that they're allowed to. That's what you do as a racing team. I've been involved in the design of GT cars where you look at the regs, you look at where you think the regs are going to go, and you go right to the very outside edge of that and say, we need to be able to think where that car's going to be in three years' time after we've started campaigning it so that we can continue to evolve it. And what we're not going to do is show our full hand when we first take that car out of the box mm. because otherwise we'll get BOP backed back. That's part of the game. As soon as you bring BOP in, so I'm not criticising by any stretch of the imagination the teams. They're doing exactly what they should be. And if you can go slower, we, we saw it at the Nürburgring this year, Audi absolutely telling their drivers, don't qualify any faster than airtime. 
so that we get a balance of performance break before the Nürburgring 24 hours. They did. It didn't make enough of a difference for them. It, it, but that was a tactic. And if you are going to open the doors to that, that's going to happen because that's what manufacturers, that's what good race teams do. Now, if we could guarantee that everyone was racing flat out all of the time, then I would have far less of a problem with any of this. And that's what the guys, Simon Hodgen, Jeff Carter, who I have an immense amount of respect for, um, as part of the IMSA technical team, they are getting much closer to that in IMSA than I think I've seen in any other championship. That's a data collection-driven uh, balance of performance. Everything is absolutely explained. I mean, the other thing, Graham Goodwin was here a moment ago, we'll get him on in a second, but he was saying nobody would have that much of an issue as much of an issue with this if it was explained if it was transparent what are you trying to achieve by this why have you taken that 0.014 boost off throughout the range what have you done why what is that meant to do what effect is that meant to have on what we're seeing either in lap time not stint length but what's it supposed to do dynamically to the car explain it to us that's what happens in IMSA and those guys if those guys said we needed to do this because then I would agree with it Ask Jeremy Shaw. Jeremy Shaw is, he keeps the same sort of stats as Paul does. In terms of fastest laps of the race, it's been within half a second of all the manufacturers this year, both in GT Le Mans, as they, they call that, and GT3. It's been an extraordinarily close in GT3. I mean, you're talking about 10 different manufacturers there. And you've got different manufacturers again in, in GT Le Mans, GTE. And, you know, fastest laps during the race in race conditions when you get the perfect lap you know that's what that's a good thing to look after um 0.3 percent um of of the gtlm the the, the variance was 0.3 of a percent not 0.3 percent variance of of the fastest lap times of right. each of the individual but manufacturers is that what they're trying to achieve or are they trying to equal the performance of, say, a car exiting a? What they're trying to do therefore... is get what they're trying. No, because because cars because cars make their lap times in very different ways. And the other thing but, that you can but, never do. I've never seen it defined that a balance of performance is that you're trying to get the same lap time for every single car. It's a balance of performance. Therefore, you're trying to balance the braking ability of a car. The acceleration. Start to the end of the race, I would say. You can't balance, have to you that. can't do that. Because then there's no window of, of what's the better car. Well, no, exactly. Then you might as well just have a spec race. Well, no, no. But so everybody one week race, your, races a Corvette, of, yeah. and then everybody the next week races yeah, a, a, a well, Porsche, then everybody fantastic. the week after. That that would be balance of performance, but that's never going to happen. But that's, that, that's, what, that's what I understand what you're saying, Johnny, but that's impossible. And you should never forget that there are cars that are better at a circuit like mid-Ohio than they are at a circuit like Sabre. Exactly. And, and the other thing that you can't take into account in balance of performance, which I, I, I you know, this is the long-standing chat that I have with Simon Hudson and with Jeff Carter is, what about a driver who's just not on his game that day and makes too many mistakes? Yeah. Tiny mistakes. And we're only talking about tiny mistakes now. In IMSA, you have to have an absolutely picture-perfect day to have a chance of being on the podium, never mind of winning the race. Yeah. Now, I don't have a problem with that. I think you should have to execute and make everything work right. You shouldn't have extra performance handed to you because your pit crew aren't very good or your drivers aren't as good as the other guys or one driver in particular just knows that circuit like the back of his hand and had a great day. 
that's not balance of performance that's motor racing mm. and that's what we've got and let's not take the racing out of motor racing and this constant fiddling takes the racing out of motor racing and that's my worry because at that point like you say we might as well give up all go to gt3 and have everybody theoretically doing exactly the same things with cars that are very different is that what you want because that's what you'll get um, that's not what I want, certainly. But I mean, you still have balance of performance in GT3 too. So you've got to equalise the field. I mean, it, it, the more body shapes, the more manufacturers you want included. Uh, you, you know, we have we have turbocharged cars in this category. We have four litres. We have 3.9. We have 5.5 from the Corvette. To have that wide and varied field, you've got to ensure that the win the, the race is winnable in each of those six different cars in GT Pro and each of the three different cars in GTE Am. And uh, balance of performance shouldn't just be based here at Le Mans. Um, so I, I accept I, it's a different race here, though. It's a different it type be. of race. It shouldn't be. You should be able to take a car wherever. You know, just because it's more, just because it's a longer circuit and there's lots more straights here. Well, that. I mean, the Corvette should win, therefore, because it's got a bigger engine and, and therefore should be quicker down the straights. Always a shame that it's not punching a bigger hole in the air. BMWs have always been very days. draggy, haven't they? But Corvettes can't turn corners and Porsches can, so... We, but, but, you know, there's only four corners here, they say. I, I, to, to me, you're trying to balance... I know you've been the, sarcastic I am being there. facetious, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. You're trying to balance the car in lots of different areas of the lap and if one has a better lap time at the end of it than the other, then it's just a better car. And yeah, and that, leave it at that. But that's what the, this is. What this fiddling but is that about. Not, but does that not drive manufacturers away? Is that what, if you haven't got well, a chance to not. win? Clearly not. BMW back, aren't they? Uh, but um, yeah, I, there was a, there was a story of convergence, wasn't there? That was going to happen, and Jens Markart was going to get involved a few years back. If that had happened, in the end, it didn't. So BMW had to go away and rethink, and they've now designed it. I mean, this has been something like three years in the making. This M8, so. It's not uh, suddenly a light bulb moment that you think about over a weekend. They've planned it for, for years and years to come back here. Um, I suppose, I mean, in that respect, you know, you design a car for three years down the line and then you get a balance of performance tweak the day before the race. I can appreciate that certain manufacturers might not take that too well on the chin. On RSL underscore studio, Hayden says, I think we could write a novel series about BOP. Yeah, I think you're prob- probably right. Um, David Patrick, uh uh, tick off the BOP ramp, ranked on the, uh, the Mobile One Radio Le Mans bingo card. Um, hello to everybody listening in Spain, by the way. Um, yeah, I mean, it, we're getting it out of the way. We're getting it out of the way. Right. Let's talk about what's coming later on uh, this afternoon. Uh, free practice live, 10 minutes before 3 local time. No, 10 minutes before 4 local time. Sorry, I've just realised that the first number there is the UK time. Uh, 10 minutes before 4 local time, 10 minutes before 3. Free practice is live. Uh, In between the free practice and the qualifying, we'll have Guy Smith, uh, as he was talking to me exclusively a couple of weeks ago at Silverstone about his retirement. Talks a lot about Le Mans in that. We'll have our Road to Le Mans preview. That's Johnny and Graham Goodwin. And then we'll have qualifying live from just before uh, 10 o'clock here in France. And then as soon as qualifying is over, it'll be midnight motorsport. It'll be about 10 past midnight motorsport. And then we will repeat the day 
on RS1 and RS3 uh, and here on 91.2 FM Mobile One Radio Le Mans. Uh, Paul Truswell is still with us. Is your mic still turned on? Yes, it is. Um, Johnny's told us he thinks he sees people go faster tonight. Um, there is, as we've mentioned, a number of people who've got to do their five laps who weren't here. Um, it's a vagary here that there is only one quite short practice session for which people have to get those five laps in. Um, but they're not five flying laps, are they? No, um, no. for this purpose, you have to be granted a dispensation. And if memory serves, and I haven't actually opened that uh, bit of the, um, the rule book, but you're only allowed the dispensation from doing the test day and doing five laps in uh, the first free practice session if you're a platinum driver. Correct. Correct. Um, so, um, but you've got four hours. Um, yes, it's relatively short, uh, and we all know how um, Le Mans has this uh, bizarre way of sucking time out of you. Time can go very fast or very slow here, can't well, it, it? It tends to go very fast, I find, because mm. everything that you can say, oh, I'll just do that for the next 10 minutes. Didn't go quite sudden, quick enough for uh, Toyota minutes. a couple of years ago. Well, Could have done with going three minutes <laughs> and 47 seconds or whatever the heck uh, it was faster. Yes. Uh, that's true. Um, but, uh, yeah, so th- they've got four hours in which they can do these five laps. Um, uh, do they have to be in the car in which you are? No, there is a dispensation as well. Right. If your car, for some reason, doesn't, then you can get in a teammate's car. Or right. bit, but Friday it's by the same manufacturer. I think it has to be by the same entrant as well. But some, okay. of, some of the entrants are, are a bit, I don't say dodgy, but um, the, the, who Movable is entering face. the car is not the same as who is running the car <laughs> in various, uh, ver- on various of the uh, teams. Um what was the question? Who's going to go quick? I don't know. It's going to be... The, the, oh, no, we were talking about free practice, yes. weren't we? Um, and what's the difference between free practice and qualifying? So can the, could the free practice times be used if qualifying, say, today and the two sessions tomorrow actually got rained out? Uh, uh, no. Um, th- so then how would we set the grid? Well, yes, that would be up to the uh, race director to decide. Right. Uh, and he may look at all kinds of things um number of the car um you know go back go engine back, size go back to the old days where it was the number of the car that decided who was on one two three four and, um, and that that, and was, that was given out by engine, engine size, size wasn't it um yes yeah, <laughs> um so um sort of rebellion on paul and if it yeah. pulls down a rain <laughs> um and, and see bart here on the pit lane cameras now getting the cricket stumps out and he's course, desperate for it to be rained out for the next five days and of course, in those days, where the number one car started was way ahead of the new start finish, the new start line. Because yep. of course, we've got this new start line, which is um, beyond um, where the old finish line or where the finish line continues to be. There is a three metre difference in the track this year. Is it three metres? Uh, in length, in length of circuit, yes, yes, yes. So we have a new circuit this year. So, so it'll be a new lap record, whatever it's happens. A new lap record, whatever happens for the purist. Um, but for archivists like me uh, there's also that you know the whether it's a, a a fastest lap we look at the average lap time or mm. the, the speed of the average lap um and then if the speed of the fastest lap let's get the words right if the speed of the fastest lap is faster than Kamui Kobayashi's was last year then we count that as a uh, as a new lap record and the three meters will that make a difference to how many laps we need to do to be a distance record uh, no in fact overall it doesn't um the, the the distance record, actually, somebody caught me out on this one, um, because, of course, the start line has been moved 145 metres uh, further up the road. Um, if you're going to calculate what the, uh, w- the 
distance is, you can't just multiply the number of laps by the circuit length because you have to take take 145 meters off because the first lap is 145 meters shorter. Uh, good point. Um, so there's all kinds mm. of... What's the three meters then? What's the three the meters the is because curves. they've realigned the Porsche curves in order to build, somebody told me, it's over an acre of additional runoff area. If you think how big your back garden is, it's probably about a quarter of an acre. It's, it's like the tide's gone out. Looks yeah, so if you imagine four yeah, of right. your back gardens... Um, I was using the average back garden is about a quarter of an acre. So it's four back gardens plus of additional... It is in leafy walking, obviously. <laughs> You've got a meadow at the back of your house, yeah. pretty much. Um, but um, anyway, so there's a massive amount of additional runoff at the Porsche curves. And in building that runoff, they've also changed where the alignment of the Porsche curves goes to the extent that the circuit is now three metres shorter than it was last year. Uh, John... Shorter, OK. Yeah. Sorry, right. Shorter, gotcha. yeah. Uh, John Trainer has said, uh, his boss has just said, why are you listening to British people shout at each other? <laughs> Very good. Excellent. Uh, any tell, anyone tell me why the GT cars don't have yellow lights this year? I thought it was a safety thing, says Chris Williams uh, to RSL Undersource Studio. Because they're not as bright. Yep. Well, for many years we had GT teams here. Hang on. We've got these fantastic HID or LED headlights and you know they're brilliant and on the streetcars they're fantastic and then we bring them on and paint over them with yellow paint silly isn't it uh, yeah so it's uh, everybody's white this year um i have brought the headlamp but i'm not sure if i'm going to need it or not this year no I, we i have left light at your end yes let there be light at the yes. trustwell towers end of things um any other changes that we need to be aware of in terms of how the race might run it's the usual three safety cars dispatched from the usual places we've still got slow zones the potentially yeah the slow zones have been slightly realigned this year in order to make the entrance into and the entrance out of those slow zones safer uh, there's nine of them um and I think there were nine last year, but it's just where they start and end that has been slightly moved around. Um, the danger point in slow zones, as we've spoken before, is going into them and coming out of them. So mm. it, they've tried to just make where you go into and come out of slow zones slightly better by moving them. Uh, and, and Eduardo, I remember having a long chat with Eduardo a few years ago. He was trying to do them in natural acceleration and deceleration areas. So yeah. into and out of corners exactly so exactly so and that, right. as i say that's where they where they start and finish so nothing for us is going to catch us out where i go oh, oh, oh look what's happening here and you go ah yes i meant to tell you about that on wednesday hind off yes um hopefully the technology we've got this year will enable us to describe where slow zones are and um we'll be able to uh, highlight those um in, in in some way shape or form uh, when they're happening so we'll know where when lap times start increasing that uh, when that's happened um, uh, with, with all the changes the, for safety reasons that have taken place at the Circuit de la Sarte, Stathios Coco says, uh, does that mean it's now a Grade 1 circuit? Uh, there has been a lot, and uh, there's been a lot of resurfacing. Uh, there's been a little bit more taken out of the public road, because now Arnage Corner is no longer uh, a part of the public road. You sort of miss it out a little bit, and then try at least the run up to it from Indianapolis. Um which is, which is quite interesting, but it is still a grade two circuit. Yeah, as far as I know, yes. Um, there is one big change, of course, which is new for this year, the trophy. 
We've got a brand new trophy really? for this year. Uh, yeah, because Porsche have nicked the other one because they won it three times. Um, so because that's a bit like the World Cup, they won it three times on the bounce. Won, so won it three times it to... on, in, in a row, and you get to keep the trophy. And Porsche has won three times in a row, so they get to keep the trophy. So they built a new trophy for this year. And who builds that? Did, uh, did Porsche do it? No, ACO builds. All right, okay. So. Because Audi were the last ones to win yes. it three in a row, weren't yes, they? Yes. With the, actually with the same drivers. Well, I can't remember. Yes, Maybe. Um, let's go down to our Forza Motorsport pit lane team. Uh, for all of those of you listening in Australia, where it's uh, much a uh, different time zone from when we're at 8 o'clock in the evening, a little bit of an Antipodean special. Uh, Australia and New Zealand, uh, welcome along to Earl Bamba. Ah, uh, Mr Bamba, how are you? Yeah, fantastic. It's uh, great to be back here. Can't wait to get racing. It's already been a few too many days since I've turned some laps here. But you have a very plain sort of black and white Porsche. They've not given you a, a smashing colour scheme on the 93. Do you, do you kind of let, let out? And the Europeans have got all the, you know, the special garage and everything. And you've just got like an ordinary garage. And No, not at all. Because if, uh, if you remember from 2015, yeah. in that uh, infamous third car, we had a plain, boring, standard, season-long livery. Nothing flash, no red, no black. And we ended up winning. So uh, I think... Having the plain livery is fine. Just to explain to those of you who don't know, the uh, two uh, European Porsches, or the WEC Porsches, are one of them is resplendent in the classic colours of a well-known cigarette company who also sponsored Williams, not giving an advert here, and the other is in the, uh, the Pink Pig, the famous 1970 or 71 car, whereas the, uh, the American cars, the cars coming over from IMSA, are in their standard kit. And I believe it's, that's, that's simply because of the amount of time between now and Watkins, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. I mean, it was pretty awesome that Porsche managed to do that. I think also if anyone's had some photos of the garage, the garage looks absolutely spectacular as well. So I think only they were missing uh, vintage race suits would have been uh, even better or boots. But uh, no, for us, it's quite a challenge because um, obviously just 10 days later, we're racing the Watkins Glen in the six hour. It's very important for us, the IMSA Championship for the US team. So um, I think the boys are prepping on Wednesday, thir- uh, when- yeah, sorry, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday preparing the cars then they're flying to the u.s so um you know mu- not much time i think they pick them up in new york and then drive up straight to the race so you can imagine logistics of this that's quite remarkable uh, we all assume that a massive organization like uh, porsche have several of these cars knocking about back in stuttgart but they are the very chassis that have to go and run around at watkins yes uh, these two cars will race in watkins glen um i think we still have one spare car that we raced in mid-ohio because 94 is a new car it's not the mid-ohio car um waiting in the in the background in case we get damaged but actually we're very very limited on cars we don't have huge amount also because um you might think we have an abundance of them but we've been uh, smashing our customer cars recently and uh you know there's a total of 10 porsches on the grid here pretty sure that's right 10 and um you know with all the elms cars and everything like that um you know they're not an easy car to build so we've been building a lot of them but we don't have a lot of them and i think we lost one in a test um in spa as well so in the uh yeah we lost one at a test so um yeah we're quite limited actually you'd be surprised well luck just as well really you haven't had to fiddle with them because uh, up and down the pit lane there's been another balance of performance uh, change for everyone in, in gte apart from you so were you the only team actually being honest and trying your hardest in test day no i mean uh you weren't trying your hardest yeah we were (laughs) you can see the onboard if you want (laughs) but um no i think uh i think they took us as a reference car and then uh and then we didn't get adjusted but you know i think um all things make sense um and you know in the end i think 
Um, BOP is always a big talked about point, but I think uh, over the years it's getting better and better and better. Um, you know, it's more hard facts, you know, more pure. They go to the dyno, they go to the wind tunnel, all these things, and it's not just numbers popped out of the year. So, um, you know, I think it's it's nothing um, nothing bad, nothing good, and I think, um, you know, it's going to just still be for a great race. We all know where we stand. Porsche was strong at the first race, pretty good at the pre-test, so let's see where we shape up this week. But I think all things in fair, we've done a lot of homework, we've tested a lot, we've worked hard to get the right tyres for the event as well, So um, and bought four cars, and that's also what's lifting us at the moment, is having two separate teams with two different ideas also lifts it. It's a good point. You say you know where you are and all the experts, so not me, all the experts back at uh, Radio Le Mans and uh, are, are backing a Porsche winner. So basically, are your major rivals the three other Porsches and not only these other other marks up and down the, the pit lane? No, I think our mates at Ford are pretty quick. They, they were, I mean, they were rapid at Daytona and this is a similar downforce sensitivity track. So, so they are pretty rapid. Um, you know, Corvette also looked not bad. I mean, if you look at the pre-test, it was one and a half seconds between... Uh, yeah, first and I think what 10th or 12th so it's pretty pretty close considering the different shapes and the different sizes of the cars and stuff like that so um, you know I think you won't see one car pull away well I hope not because it would be a shame but um, you know I wouldn't mind if my car pulled away but um, you know I'm, hopefully it's a fantastic race and a race that the fans deserve as well because to have 17 manufacturer cars on the grid with uh, full factory lineups is uh, something special that you don't see nearly anywhere in the world anymore it's a good point you made about Daytona because obviously we've got uh, a couple of the IMSA teams coming over. Now, when, when we are covering Daytona, you know, it's always said that the WEC teams and the European teams who come have to learn the whole way the American series works. Do your engineers and mechanics need to you know, learn the way the uh, WEC works? Are they at a disadvantage? Yeah, for sure. It's not easy. You know, we've got a completely different set of rules um, in terms of pit stops, in terms of all that sort of stuff. So we're going through the motions. We're, we're lucky we've got a few good guys from the LMP1 team coming to sort of help us to know the rules. I think a few French people always help in the team as well. But, um, you know, it's it's a different challenge. And, um, you know, it's also a different style of race, you know, because once you start losing time at the start of the race, there's no real safety cars there. Well, sometimes we get one, but, you know, it's mainly slow zones. I guess everyone at Daytona thought there'd be more safety cars as well, and there was never any. So, um, you know, it's a different scene of race, and it's more of a, a pure, pure sprint instead of Daytona as well. So it's quite two different races. Just briefly moving away from this uh, this event, I mean, have you had a go, or are you going to get a go in the special 919 uh, LH that's been trying to set records everywhere? It seems it's only fair you did win the blooming race in it. Actually, I was the first ever person to drive it in the full spec. I had to do the rollouts for the guys before they went to Spa. So um, that was pretty insane. I ended up in Pfizer in the rain with that thing. So uh, imagine that thing in the rain is pretty quick. But um, no, it's amazing. Now, hopefully I get to have a drive full-fledged at one of these circuits somewhere, but um, not yet. I think I've still got uh, plenty of GT races to do. They managed to fill my schedule up with GT races and V8 supercar and all this sort of stuff. It's an amazing piece of kit and a lovely uh, technical exercise. I mean, a difficult question for you, but if the, that record here is a 314.7, what could that car do around Le Mans, do you think? Oh, well, what do we do in, uh, in Quali and Spa? I think we do 53. And we then did 41, so, um, yeah. So sub three quite easily? Um, uh, yeah, maybe. I guess so. Well, get it over here then. The boys are back. Don't ask the boss. I'm sure, I'm sure it's on a truck somewhere. No, I don't think. I think it's far, far away. But, um, no, I think already the cars are quick enough around here without uh, going sub three. I think uh, some people have had a heart attack if they ever see a sub three. Well, have a great weekend. Thanks, mate. Thank you.
and uh, people on the other side of the world very happy to hear uh, the dulcet tones of Nick Damon uh, and Earl Bamber of course the uh, Forza Motorsport pit lane team thanks very much to uh, Di and to uh, Nick we'll uh, let them get themselves sorted for later on uh, today you're listening to Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM around the circuit uh, the honest Abe says sad not to see the Reese IMSA team here this year uh, when will Ferrari actually start taking them seriously well Abe they are here mm. uh, and they are running uh, ironically an American uh, American back Ferrari aren't they Johnny yes number 85 Keating Motorsports that's the entrant but uh, yeah it's Beaky Simmons and uh, the rest of the team from Reese Competizioni that uh, are running that so if you're a Reese fan don't look out for 82 anymore that it has run uh, that was last year wasn't it and sadly they, their race came to an abrupt end when Pierre Caffer was rudely assaulted into the first chicane and pretty much wrote off the front of the, their car and ended the race on the spot Machev as of year judged to be at fault for that and given something like a seven minute time penalty for that move but uh, they're back again just car 85 which is a red WeatherTech car mm. bizarrely um, there is a white WeatherTech car as well that's the JMW motorsport car Correct. which is normally yellow yes. so there's quite a bit of re- reconfiguring we have to do Beatty Sims Dave Sims who's been motor racing since God was a lad has let it be known uh, to a select number of people that, that he's considering making this his last race so um, that it is. It is that every year, though. John. I, I know. I, I, that's that's why I'm not making a big fuss about it right now. Um, but what we don't know this year, which we have known in, in years gone by, is that car, um, what it's going to do for the rest of the season in IMSA. Um, we were hoping it might come to VIR, but that hasn't been confirmed. I don't think it's going to be at Watkins Glen, too close to this event. So, mm, not so sure. Um, you're listening to uh, Mobile One Radio Le Mans, as I mentioned. Uh, this is midday, midweek motorsport. Um, and uh, it's John Hindoff and the team for you. Thanks very much to Diana Binks and to Nick Damon, our Forza Motorsport pit lane crew. They'll be back along with the other voices who will introduce to you as we get through the weekend. Um, point is, you've got no reason to tune away now. We've got uh, qualifying, uh, free practice and qualifying coming up um, before... Well, up to about midnight tonight here but in between time plenty of things to come as we look behind the scenes here at the circuit de la sarthe we have a road to le mans preview that's one of the support races this week weekend we could have made a program about how many times paul's has uh, repositioned his 172 screens it's been like live tetris here mm, yeah it's fun. Well, he gets it all sorted and then says oh that'll be better over there wouldn't yeah. it so it's then he has to pull the whole thing apart optimizing it's called <laughs> nick's gonna go bonkers he's gonna have to reframe all the camera shots um our studio vision this year will be back at the primary place for you to uh, access that will be a brand new facebook page the radio show limited facebook page you can link to it from the Radio Show Limited Listeners Collective, which is a group, but that will be on a page. There'll also be a YouTube link as well through, through RC TV, as always. So your chance to see behind the scenes in our Mobile One Broadcast Centre here at Le Mans as well. Uh, coming up in the gaps between track action uh, today, the Road to Le Mans preview. Then we've got Guy Smith. Uh, so plenty of things to keep you interested as you can hear our effects mic are outside Thank as you. that sounds to me like a yeah 
I think that's a Eurocopter, which must mean that Graham Goodwin is about to walk in as he's just uh, dropped in uh, in his helicopter. Yeah, that's uh, Paul's going to. Oh, Johnny's going to jump in. I, I want to talk to to Graham actually about something that uh, a helicopter landed right outside and he's dash, dashed in. Good afternoon, Graham. Yeah, I don't land in that one, mate. That's my Chinook. I oh. just uh, just abseil down. All right, that's very good. Didn't sound like a twin rotor to me, in fairness. Um, the uh, let's talk about Friday because very a bit of excitement on Friday. Although some of the thunder uh, has been slightly stolen by the World Motorsport Council, uh, releasing I think probably the majority of the details we're going to find out on Friday about the 2020 regulations. The big question is what is the new premier class going to be called gtp is it going to be super gt is it going to be aco gt what is it going to be called i don't know is the honest answer and um and you know the question has been asked very directly from those that uh, would like to it's my cessna um it, it always circles above me just, just like a drone yes yeah i'll leave that no, one i'm hanging. the drone yes but, <laughs> <laughs> but um we don't know what it's be, going to be called but you're right john we have got a flavor of what to expect from those regulations. What can we say? Uh, there's been, a, I think, a little bit of misdirection, um, unfortunately, from what was said in the uh, FIA's bulletin, which mentioned hypercars. It will not be uh, racing versions of the road-going hypercars like the LaFerrari, uh, the Aston Martin Valkyrie. However, it will be something based on a racing prototype, as I believe is correct that it should be, um, with styling cues from... Uh, the road car mark. It's D- it's ACO DPI, isn't it? Uh, potentially. I, I think uh, to, to actually explain what that means, really, it, it, the degree of st- uh, standard uh, uh, package to take out a lot of the cost, something like a fifth of the cost of the current cars. Still around 30 million euros, though. Which is still a, a substantial amount of money. It retains the safety cells, which is very important, um, and... Uh, they restrict in the areas of aerodynamics that can actually be developed, which is one of the principal ways in which they'll restrict the uh, the cost. Paul's waving at me. Just to ask, because is it going to mandate visibility? I would hope so, because that's been a key part of the Very last couple good of point. the last couple of and, uh, areas and, and of the driver angle yeah. as well. Well, I did want to say one thing though about the hypercar aspect of it, because we've we've got again the internet's a wonderful place people discussing these things with without yet the benefit of the full information and just to impress on people how those cars could look the car that has been referenced by none other than Pierre on several times when talking about what these cars may look like has been a late 1990s GT1 car so like for instance Mercedes CLKs that were absolutely magnificent looking things these cars will look like hypercars they just won't be racing versions of road-going cars. It's a subtle difference uh, in, in, in the way in which you, you word it, but it's a realistic uh, difference in terms of safety and performance that you'll actually expect to get on a racetrack. There will be hybrids. Uh, there will be a single... Standard hybrid? I'm not sure. No, I, I mean, don't think so either. No, I, th- I think that's been considered, um, but I'm not sure. It's certainly going to be single hybrid. Uh, it will not be the level of hybrid performance we've seen thus far. But for me, really? the most no, the most uh, the most uh, uh, significant part of this is we're not just going to hear about regulations for 2020. We're also going to hear at least an outline of proposals for 2024, and that starts to get interesting because that's where we start to talk about alternative fuels again. 
and one of, one of the things that Matt Fernandez, uh, who has been ferreting brilliantly in the French press for DailySportsCar.com, turned up was a planning application for the new pit lane, which yep. includes uh, centralised fueling system, which includes the the potential at least for a, a hydrogen fueling Correct. system within a new pit lane, which should be ready in two or three years, three or four years' time. Should say, I'm sure Matt's listening, by the way. I had a, a great conversation with Pierre Fion earlier this week in which he congratulated us and specifically Matt who by the way was born in the same hospital that Pierre Fionn is a surgeon yes um, but uh, but congratulated on finding that uh, I think it rather it's done a little bit of the thunder but that's what being a journalist is actually about yeah um, but you're right it is a, a new pit lane complex ready for the centennial of this race in 2023 um, which will be, mean that uh, no change to the number of pits in the main complex uh, significant changes, particularly to the infrastructure around the pits, to, not surprisingly, because this is where a lot of the money comes from, to the, the hospitality areas, which means that we'll be, the press will be moved over to the ACO building, oddly enough, where we used to compensate from, yeah. uh, John and Paul. Mm. Um, uh, That's the, where the press centre used to be. It is indeed, yeah. Before uh, it became a tent in the middle. Absolutely. I think it's going to be a tent on the outside before much I, longer. I strongly it? suspect we might well be uh, decamped before that new press room is actually ready. But lots of changes coming. They are investing in this. And I think, John, I'll say this much. We did, we've, we've talked on Midweek Motorsport about these regulations before. Mm. A massive opportunity here Agreed. for everybody. The bit we don't yet know is just how global this is going to be. Yes. I, I will say... I, I think the 2020 regs, the opportunity for globalisation has gone. Well, I will say that the opportunity has been offered to a number of people for a sit-down with Scott Atherton on Friday afternoon. And that's going to be, I think, some very uh, interesting time to find out just how this will work. To explain that business around the DPI uh, aspect, the way I, I guess I put it into shorthand is this. It is a DPI-like concept, but utilising LMP1 chassis and with an, a, a degree of additional technology involved, and certainly with higher performance than uh, the DPIs have. And it's been a, a series of very interesting conversations with a number of people involved in all sorts of aspects of this 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 mosaic if you like around lmp the reality about dpi because i just hear what people will be saying now to the friends listening to this show why not dpi the reason why not dpi for the mon and for the wec is because there is no interest from the manufacturers involved in dpi in coming to do the world insurance championship that is the reality there is not interest in the well, wc there's another reason as well is because what do you do with the private GT P1 cars now? Well, and, and that has been far more successful. You know, unfortunately for the ACO, which I'm sure they thought might be, let's stick that out there and you know put a bit of chum in the water to see who's interested. It's actually drawn a lot more triangular fins than, than perhaps people might have expected. And you can't bin that after three or four years. And, and I, I know for a fact that actually a lot of thought is going into what you do about perhaps the two things that they tend to have tended to forget about in recent years where we've had success with uh, major manufacturers involved. Uh, number one is transition. They tend to take their half the ball about transition and things are left to lie fallow a little bit too much. And two, you're absolutely right, John, um, borderline scandalous, I'm afraid, um, lack of attention paid to what you do with an ambitious privateer. And I don't think that's going to be a mistake they make again. There is certainly talk of mandating uh, that manufacturers involved in this new class 
mandating that they must sell or have available for sale their powertrains to privateers. How realistic that proves to be? Well, we'll wait and see. I think, you know, we talked about, what, 25 to 35 million euro uh, budgets for LMP1. At the moment, for a two-car LMP1 effort in non-hybrid LMP1, about 10, maybe 12 million. Uh, There's a leap, but it's not enormous if you're ambitious and you're commercially savvy. And And it's a heck of a sight cheaper in WEC from 1920 because there's only one Le Mans. And that, I mean, that, that's the big expense in this transition season is you've got two 24-hour races bracketing the season. Absolutely. And that's, an, that's a whole ELMS extra budget yeah. is what teams tell me. But anybody who is aware of the scale of this event that we're at, just this one, uh, and by the way, with, with huge ambition uh, looking towards the future to finally learn some of the lessons that frankly should have been learned years ago to start to develop the calendar for the WEC to start to look for ways in which you can make some of those those races a little bit more blue ribboned. Mm. Uh, that, that actually what they're looking for now is to actually make sure there's better uh, value for money in this whole season rather than just this great race. Uh, a question about the 2020 and 2024 regs. Do you think um, that the ACO have made recently some uh, very uh, bullish claims? about their junior formula in prototypes and, and rightly so um, LMP3 and LMP2 have done very very well they have been based on a limited number of chassis yeah. is P1 going to go that way are we going to see something like the chat when we had Jan Mardenbrit in here um, earlier on intense competition in Japanese Super GT but based on effectively a single mother chassis is that what we're going to see in this new uh, GTP, whatever it's called? I strongly hope not. I strongly hope the door will always be open for that innovation, for that company that wants to make a a difference. Equally well, I hope there's the opportunity uh, with new regulations that should should somebody, it doesn't matter who it is, whether or not it's, uh, it won't be Gibson because they're now an an engine-based company, but if it's an Orica or a Dallara or anybody else, that if they want to provide the, the backbone, literally the spine for Very good. Um, for whatever this new LMP1 is going to be called for multiple manufacturers or privateers that the opportunity should be there to do so to have a commercial marketplace in that but you'll know John, I know you're not either a fan of artificially restricting that marketplace I think it throws up some real uh, but if you're going to if you're going to control costs yeah. what, what I will say, I wasn't a fan of the four um, four chassis in P2, the five chassis in P3, um, but the teams tell me that that did control costs. Shocker. Uh, yeah, it does. Uh, to then, an extent. To an extent, it does, but uh, but equally, I'm, I'm just not a fan of artificially restricting a marketplace, particularly in something like motorsport. Where motorsport, the lifeblood of motorsport is the smaller company. You know, Yes, it's great when you've got uh, the large uh, operations. We've had, a, we've had a reminder this year of what you can do in terms of triumph and, I'm afraid, ultimately failure with a larger organisation. With the death of last, uh, last weekend of Martin Perrain, saving Lola, but ultimately unable to actually keep it from the wall. And that was quite a large organisation. Uh, if you're able to come forward and make a success out of effectively a garage, garage East Air effort with your own car, 
or, or marketing a, a chassis to a small number of customers, my view is you should always be allowed to do so. What's driving the thought behind? When we're not first of all, let's set people's expectations for Friday. We are not going to get a rule book on Friday. No, we're, we're not. not even going to get anything near to that. We're going to get. A little bit more than a white paper, a discussion document, perhaps. We're going to get some shape. We're going to get some detail. And I understand that we're looking at uh, potentially a set of regulations to be uh, sent for approval by the end of the year. I think that's what we're looking at. I think think that the first, from what I've been told uh, from within the WEC organisation, is uh, they would like to have them ratified by the World Motorsport Council meeting think is october september october be a little later than that but there is another one in december i think you're looking and and the december one is the cutoff they reckon because actually when you think about it it's not it's not long at all and it's not long and you've got the other thing to take into account is it's not just building those cars it's actually you know and we've we've talked about this as well on the show time and time again it's getting to the point where you get the manufacturers to the point where they can get the budget signed off and that's often an 18-month cycle ahead of actually cutting carbon. Particularly when you're starting a season in August or September. Which doesn't necessarily align with the financial year. So they're aware of all of this. Mm. I wouldn't either want listeners to actually go away thinking, oh, they're a million billion miles away. They're not. No, no, no. There's, there's a very small number of relatively small issues that need to be nailed down. And they generally, I believe, of, of the technical nature. I think they've worked very hard to see what they can do about this global formula side of things. Let's wait and see what is announced there about where these cars we, we can expect to be racing in the future. It will be a, uh, I'd be sad if we haven't managed that. Uh, and what is the, what do we think? The philosophy behind this is clearly not technical innovation as it was for LMP1 hybrid. Because I tell you what, whatever anybody thinks about that, and what, however much was being spent, and I'll say again, by the way, because I'm sick and tired of seeing people incorrectly report that the reason that Audi and Porsche left was because of how much it, it cost. That's complete Absolute nonsense. The, the amount of technical um, innovation and forward thinking that went into that was extraordinary. I don't think I've ever seen anything in such a short time do so much for the particular technologies involved. Two figures to chuck into that. I completely agree, by the way. But that's not going to be the new regs. No, 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 no. But just just for a moment on that, in terms of the level of achievement that they got, number one is 50% less fuel to run this race. 50% less fuel. Going faster. Going faster. And then look at what... On skinnier tyres with less downforce. And then look at what Porsche particularly achieved with the 919. The, The same and then more power out of batteries that actually were weighing proportionately less year by year. Yeah. It's yeah. astounding. Well, the first year Porsche moved up in the hybrid category. 50% more. 50% more from exactly the same weight weight of and size of batteries. And that was 50% more all the way through the race, when they couldn't actually get their full power at the end of a six-hour race yeah. when they first started. Both Audi and Porsche bought battery companies because the battery companies concerned couldn't understand the pace that they wanted to move at. And then Extraordinary. I, guess, I guess the additional factor here to explain to listeners why that's significant, that's exactly the kind of work that goes on in an R&D lab. We were privileged to watch that. On the track. On the track, in real time, showing people what this technology could do. And, John, changing people's minds about that technology. Well, in the way that Audi changed people's minds about diesel, diesel yeah. rightly so, and talked about performance diesel, Diesel's had a bad press recently. Um, that's 
not a complete story uh, either. I have talked to a manufacturer recently who has told me that the air that comes out or what comes out of the back of their premium SUV is cleaner than the air that goes in through the air intake in certain parts of London. Um, and uh, also Bosch have got a new fantastic sort of gas back system that they uh, have been working on that can be added to cars, which um, makes the current, which beats all the current and proposed nitrous oxide levels, which is what was the issue before, um, just knocks them out of the park. Yep. So diesel's not done yet, but, but Audi changed minds about diesel. Um, Toyota, Audi and Porsche have changed minds, uh, minds about hybrid. I, I'm, I'm driving a hybrid this weekend. I'm driving a 714 horsepower hybrid. Panamera uh, Turbo S petrol. Um, with the hybrid, so effectively that makes it all-wheel drive. That's a 4-litre V8 with uh, all the whistles and bells on it, which sounds fantastic, and more than 40 miles to the gallon on yeah, the way down. Astounding, isn't it? I mean, and and if, that, that's, if that's hybrid, can, yeah, ha, sign me up right now. I, I, but I think before we also get down that, that, that kind of blind alley that people think they're just blinded by the fact that it has to be hybrid, has to be hybrid. No, they're not. They are looking forward, but they're realistic. What they need is an entry point for those manufacturers to come back. Most of the race programmes we now see at factory level are effectively funded through the marketing operations of the major manufacturers. Therefore, Toyota in particular, that is... That's R&D. That's R&D. That's solely R&D. funds that. that. But they're very unusual. Yeah. With the rest of them uh, and coming, coming back, uh, they've got to give them something that those manufacturers can effectively um, sell, that they can actually put out there and activate. Uh, that's why the look of the cars, with some technological relevance to the uh, to the range, has to be the, the the key. But they're not standing still. There was a lot of work going on in the background to see where we go, not necessarily just in baby steps to the point where we are going to have to change. Graham Goodwin from DailySportsCar.com will be popping his head in. Uh mainly because we've got the best tea here uh, across the, the weekend. 91.2 FM is Mobile One Radio Le Mans. It is midweek motorsport uh, at the UK start time of midday, only for Le Mans. Shea Adam is alongside me and Paul Trusswell as well. Shea, you were down at the Pesage at the scoutineering at the early part of the week, Sunday and Monday. Very wet, particularly on uh, Monday, but that means you've talked to more drivers than the rest of us put together. Who was looking confident? Who was looking scared in the mm. early part of the week? Jensen Button looked scared. Uh, he looked quite a bit petrified, considering how many people wanted to talk to him and get his autograph and whatnot. Uh, there was bodyguards for Fernando Alonso, so he didn't have the same look of, oh my goodness, I've never seen anything like this before in his eyes. Uh, confident. I would say, surprisingly, a lot of the teams running the Ligier chassis in LMP2 this year, Mm. there was a definite air from multiple drivers saying, we have more in the tank, should we need it. We did not show everything we had at test day, and we expect the cars to be much faster. Last year, there was a definite uh, symbol of resignation that was being displayed, a a bit of a white flag by every team that wasn't in Orica before the race. We came to find out why that was significant during the race. That is not going to happen this year, though. It's going to be a much closer battle in LMP2. Uh, Lots of familiar faces from our IMSA radio coverage. Uh, As many uh, of the US contingent and and certainly the US championship contingent, as I can remember, quite some time. I had a very funny moment with Juan Pablo Montoya, who saw me standing at scrutiny, and he goes, 
what are you doing here? And I said, Radio Lamar. And he goes, you do that too? I said, yes, I've done that first, actually. Yeah, 26 drivers total from our championship who run what I consider full-time, if you include your Bergmeister and Patrick Lindsay. They're guys who have been stalwarts in the series, Spencer Pompelli. We have a great showing in terms of uh, IMSA people from that championship. The leaders in points represented by Philippe Albuquerque for the prototype class. The leaders in the GTLM class, Richard Westbrook and uh, Ryan Briscoe. Unfortunately, no Brian Sellers and Madison Snow. Mm. We could have had the whole thing going on. Uh, and out of those guys, I mean, obviously we've got the Corvettes, uh, we've got the Porsches that we heard uh, Nick talking to earlier on as part of the Forza Motorsport pit lane report. Um, there are some heavy hitters there, which you know, teams and driving talent that will be in with more than a little chance of a podium or better in their class. Well, we've got representation in every single class because we've got Ranger Van de Zanda in the 10, the Dragon Speed car. Very easy, by the way. He's still in the 10. Both championships. Oh, yeah, yes. That's, that's the easiest one ever. I love it. I had to thank can Elton we have Julian. The black, can we have Elton Julian's car painted gloss black, please? It'll make it much it's easier. white, unfortunately. I know. I don't yeah. Know. Um, no, but it, it's a great opportunity for us to potentially, as IMSA representation, have a winner in every single class. It is possible. Uh, and great people out there smiling, just happy to be here. A lot of rookies this year, 38 total. So a lot of people are going to be learning their way around the track when free practice starts because it is different when you get to the actual race week. Yeah, they've been here for tests. They've been around the circuit. But when that attitude comes in play of, I can't wreck the car because there's not time to fix it before yeah. the race begins, things change. And... You mentioned that one of those two Porsches going back to core Autosport and to Porsche um, Racing North America, uh, Porsche Motorsport North America, PMNA, uh, is a brand new chassis. So they'll race it at Le Mans and then that will go to be the substantive car for the rest of the year, or is that going to be yes. the spare car? No, that is the main so car. Will, so that will race at Watkins? The number 912 Porsche that won at Mid-Ohio, being driven by Lawrence Vantor and Earl Bamber, was the last time that chassis will be used in... <sighs> professional competition right it had already been sold before the race began so we're always saying then that they were trying to get a win for its new owner but yes coming over here the number 94 which has the 912 crew on it including david their lead engineer all the mechanics that car goes back to watkins Glen and runs for the first time in america as the number 912 it could be a lamal winner by that point mm. in time but the interesting thing none of its usual drivers piloting because lawrence is in the number 92 and earl is in the 93 yeah good point good point i i, I still think i'm not sure i buy the uh, the idea about the livery i still think they could have done classic liveries and left them on for watkins Glen because so many of the imsa teams do special liveries anywhere for watkins Glen and canadian time motorsport park patriotic liveries because yes. it's canada day and fourth of july and yeah. there will be some of those at watkins Glen. i've already seen the email going around about that I, I don't know if they wanted to do that, though, John. I don't know if they wanted to sort of feel like they had just taken the cars straight out of Le Mans and put them on the track at Watkins Glen. We would have loved it, but maybe the marketing partners back in the States wouldn't have understood the, the same weight that it would have held. Um, you were wandering around the pits this morning. You'll be part of our Forza Motorsport pit lane reporting team. Um Picking anything up there? Was there there's any scrambling going on at all? Look, I'm, I've been watching the CCTV pictures. We've got them up in the Mobile One uh, Radio Le Mans Broadcast Centre here. Uh, doesn't seem to be anybody running around, scrambling around re relatively serene there this morning and early this afternoon. The one thing that I have noticed is the GT 
e pro cars have been practicing brake changes the fords were doing it the other day when i walked up the pit lane i believe that was sunday but the days just sort of run together when you're here <laughs> today it was aston martin uh ford was doing it uh porsche corvette were timing everybody else because they wanted to see how their time stacked up against I, it's very amusing to think that that is what everybody is harping on in terms of gt for the lmp2 cars it has been a lot of driver change practice up and down the pit lane just about every team focusing on that and uh the clearwater ferrari and the mr1 ferrari were the two this morning practicing pit stops without their drivers so it was just doing everything else except clearly those six individuals were otherwise occupied sure thank you very much uh the we'll take a look at the weather uh once we finished uh midday motorsport here on mobile one uh uh, 91.2 FM Radio Le Mans for 2018. Can I just mention really quickly, yep. congratulations to Scott Dixon. He is now third on the all-time win list for IndyCar. Yes. And the only two guys ahead of him are Foyt and Andretti. Wow. Yeah, that Foyt, puts it into perspective. Andretti, Dixon. Yes. That's got to make a man happy coming to this race. Oh, he he was in a lovely condition at uh, scrutineering. Uh, Shea, thanks very much indeed. We'll hear more from Shea uh, throughout the weekend. Uh, And that's just about it for this very special edition of Midweek Motorsport, uh, live from the 24 Hours of Le Mans. It's Mobile One, Radio Le Mans, 91.2 FM. Um, Don't worry if you joined us part of the way through. We will repeat the show just after midnight tonight, after we've had all of the track action, which comes up next here on Mobile One Radio Le Mans, 91.2 FM around the circuit and around the world on RS1 and RS3, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels. There's no time to explain. The Llama is in a 24-hour mode. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.